Hey everyone, it's Christmas 2019. I hope you're all having a good one. In mere days, the very first episode of Doctor Who's 12th series will be upon us. Sadly, the days of getting a Christmas Day episode are all gone. Well, for the time being, that is. Um, but we can still look back at the ones we've had. And today we are revisiting the Christmas Day 2010 special starring Matt Smith. It is a Christmas Carol. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Cloisterbell, a weekly Doctor Who podcast hosted by Liam and Rob. Hi everyone and welcome to the Cloisterbell podcast. I'm Liam and uh, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Rob. Say hi Rob. Hi. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, We're back. First of all, yes, it's been a very long gap since our previous podcast, to which that's all my fault. I re- uh, apologise to you, Rob, and to our listeners. The reason being was because of a technical fault um, with our equipment, uh, mainly my laptop, and I took it in for repair. It was only supposed to be a week, uh, but a week turned into <laughs> into four. Um, so yeah, that's the reason why there's been a delay. We physically haven't been able to record the podcast. Um, it has. Proved... Of course, I, I could have recorded some solo episodes, but um, just work and Christmas and everything. Excuses. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, it's all valid. So yeah, but technically, we weren't able to record. Uh, we've done solo ones, but yeah, it's because of that time of year, it's incredibly busy in terms of work. Everything's just chucked at you. It's all absolutely insane. Um, so yes, we did have... Uh, a number of podcasts planned we've had to cancel those for the time being uh, so look at that as our sort of original season 23 which has now been cancelled and this is our trial of a time lord or the, uh, well it's not the analogy falls down there but anyway um, in our previous podcast which was so long ago I cannot even remember what it was do you remember what it was? it was the legacy of time oh yes it was <laughs> of course it was yes it was the last episode of the Legacy of Time. So at the end of that podcast, we said we would come back and review The Mind Robber. Um, which, because... We didn't. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, uh, I did botch it, planned it, and all the rest of it, but that was because there was only supposed so to... So did I. Uh, and uh, yeah. all that work. What a waste of time. Um, <laughs> so did all that prep, because there was only going to be a, a, a week's gap at most. Uh, but anyway, here we are. And to review The, the Mind Robber now time-wise, because now it's it's wonderful Christmas, seemed a bit weird. Because not only is it Christmas, not only are we approaching the end of 2019, but we're also approaching the end of the decade. So uh, we're going way back to the very beginning of it, 2010, and looking at the Christmas Carol. Uh, it's a bit weird putting it like that, uh, especially it was, like, it was 10 years ago that Matt Smith was the Doctor. Hmm. I'd also like to mention that I haven't seen it since broadcast until now. Oh, right, okay. I think I've seen it a couple of times since broadcast. Um, so it was Matt Smith's first ever Christmas special as well. It's worth mentioning. Yes, that's true. Uh, just following um, season five. And this, as you said, was his first Christmas uh, special. So the plot synopsis provided by the wonderful BBC says that Amy and Rory are trapped on a crashing space liner and the only way the Doctor can rescue them is to save the soul of a lonely old miser. But is Carson Sardik the richest man in Sardik Town beyond redemption? And what is lurking in the fogs at Christmas Eve? Sounds very ominous. It is indeed. Um, I had a bit of trouble finding it because I knew it was part of Series 5. Mm-hmm. I went on Netflix, there it is, part of Series 5. I checked Wikipedia, part of Series 5, but it's included on the Series 6 box set. Yeah, it is. I'm so, I'm so pleased that wasn't just me. Cause, so uh, I got my Blu-ray box set out and I went, oh great, Season 5, where's it? It's not, what? And yeah, and then and then you go to the uh, season six, and it's it's the very first disc, the first episode. So that was a bit confusing. I mean, it's not part of season six, no. was, uh, anyway, but apparently it is. Uh, so, so yeah, I I got confused by that one as well. I wonder if they were considering not including it at all with the series five box set, or maybe the series five box set came out before Christmas. Possibly, I think that would make sense. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. 
Were you, because uh, you were saying that you've only seen this since it was broadcast 10 years ago, were, were you looking forward to revisiting it? I was, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, I, I don't think I enjoyed it um, the first time around. Oh, right, okay. But I did this time around. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've, clearly, I've clearly changed as a person. <laughs> well, that's a good side. Uh, you know, you would expect to change at least a bit in, t- in a space of ten years. A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I remember when I uh, when I first watched it uh, ten years ago. Uh, sorry, I know I keep on banging on about that. I just can't get over it. Um, I loved it then, and I still do now. But the thing is, I think I enjoyed it a l- even though I've always liked it. I enjoyed it a lot more this time round. I found it a lot. I found myself a lot more emotionally engaged with it. There were moments mm. when I felt like I was on the verge of tears. Um, but we can get into that uh, later on. Yeah. So um, the story kicks off, and Amy and Rory—they're a bit sidelined in this story, aren't they? Um, maybe that's one of the reasons why I didn't enjoy it much the first time. Because we've just got through series five. You want the narrative to be to go forward. Um, just look back at the Christmas invasion. That was very much a Rose story, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and all of a sudden we've got Amy and Rory getting sidelined. Mm-hmm. You are right, but uh, I mean, I suppose I'm biased with this because uh, I do really, uh, I've always liked this story. Um, I don't mind that, I think, because uh, this is a one written by Stephen Moffat and given the, the timey-wimey nature of it, that's hardly a surprise. Um, you just have to watch it. Really. I bet Stephen Moffat wrote this. Uh, I actually think he balances it out quite well. Um, I, you are right. Those characters are sidelined. That They are the ones who are at risk because they are on the spaceship, which is about to crash. And it's up to the Doctor to, to try and prevent that. So the focus mm-hmm. is on the Doctor and him trying to prevent it. And every now and again, we'll sort of flip back to the events of the spaceship. Um but I wasn't too bothered about. I wasn't too bothered about it. I think it was because probably um, I don't mind that if it happens once in a while, and providing that it ha- it takes place in a good story and everything else is uh, resting and uh, and engaging. Um, mm-hmm. And it uh, it was really nice to uh, you know watching you know watching it. We're approaching Christmas and just have that wonderful Christmas feel. Um, and as you said at the very beginning of, of this podcast, is um, it seems that having Christmas specials now for Doctor Who is, is a thing of the past. I think that's a real shame, personally. Um, there have been hit and miss. There have been some uh, Christmas special episodes which haven't quite worked. But usually on the whole, I think they're incredibly uh, enjoyable. Um, and I would like Doctor Who to, at some point, come back and do a Christmas special especially when they are this good and this atmospheric and engaging. Uh, I'm sort of going off on a tangent a bit from your main point. Is that, yes, you are right, Amy and Doc, uh, Amy and Rory are sort of sidelined, but I don't mind it uh, too much. No, neither do I. And um, yeah, I think maybe one day it could come back to Christmas Day, couldn't it? Might happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hope so. Because when uh, we had the New Year special um, with Resolution, uh, someone... They're not a Doctor Who fan, but you know, the, you know, they tune in now and again, and they find it enjoyable. They thought what it was was that we were now going to have a string of New Year specials because um, because maybe they'd run out of ideas on how to do a Christmas special and use Christmas as as the main running theme. And going well, there's only so much you can do with a Christmas special when you've been doing when you've been doing it for all these years off the trot. It gets a bit sort of you know. Oh, what do we do? We we just have a, like a random plot and we chuck snow at the end of it and it's a Christmas special. Um, and they may have a point because, you know, we had resolution and now with series 12 almost upon us, um, the very first episode is being broadcast on, on New Year's Day. Um, yeah, but this time it's not a special. No. Just it, incidentally broadcast on that day. Yeah, but I think, the, yes, that's true. But I think it's sort of, you're making it an event on New Year's Day. You're launching in. Mm-hmm. You're launching into a new year, and you're launching into a new series. So yeah. may- maybe this is going to be the thing going forward. Yeah, we'll see. Personally, I think they should just do a special on every holiday. You know, Halloween, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's. <laughs> Excellent. So in this particular story, Amy and Rory are on the honeymoon. 
But even though this is released after Matt Smith's appearance in the Sarah Jane Adventures, I think this story actually takes place before that. Because in that particular story, the death, the death of the Doctor, he mentions that Amy and Rory are on a literal honeymoon, like a moon made of honey. Um, and he suggests that they go there at the end of this story, doesn't he? Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, yes, um, continuity-wise, I think you're probably right. So this takes place straight after or after the events of uh, the Big Bang. Because Rory's still got his his Roman outfit. Uh, yes. And takes place before um, the death of the Doctor. The death of the Doctor, yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So I know this is an obvious thing to say, but um, this story seems to be based on a classic novella by Charles Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Um, All right, that, that that went past my head. I didn't notice that. But um, Jokes! it does it does seem like an obvious choice for a um, Doctor Who story to adapt, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. After all, a Christmas Carol does contain a bit of time travel, doesn't it? Well, yeah, in a, in a, in a strange way. Doc, this isn't the first time that um, Doctor Who has done this. The Trial of a Time Lord was uh, had that structure uh, deliberately. It, it had, so that although it wasn't Christmassy, but it was inspired by a Christmas Carol. So as you had the Ghost of Christmas Past, you had the past section of the trial. Then you had um, you know the relative present, uh, and then you had. The Christmas. Uh, oh, hang on, what is it? Um, what's the last ghost called? The Christmas. That the is ghost it. of Christmas future. Oh, oh. Oh no, I, th- I thought it, I thought it was a bit more. Uh, the... I think it is something different traditionally. Yeah, yeah. Um, the f- the ghost of future yet to come. I think it is what it is, uh, which is mm. uh, <laughs> uh, which in this case is terror of the vervoids. Um, <laughs> so so, uh, so so, a Christmas Carol has inspired. Uh, the structure of uh, the trial of a time lord, but yes, actually, in terms of pretty much doing its own adaptation of it, uh, it is of course this episode of Christmas Carol, and and you're right, it is an obvious idea to use because you've got the element of looking at the past, present, and the future, uh, and Stephen Moffat's uh, approach pretty much from from the beginning was using the time travel element of the show a lot more than had previously been the case. Um, and he does it really well here. Yeah, he does it really cleverly. I love the the moment when um, Kazran wakes up from his dream and it's the projector on the wall. Mm-hmm. And then the Doctor steps into the past, doesn't he, through the video. I thought that was a really good idea. Yes, it, it was. Uh, and so, so you have the established past, but then you're seeing the past rewritten uh, sort of in real time uh, as the episode progresses. And I quite like that because you've got this idea which could be complicated uh, and it could be argued later on Stephen Moffat does complicate this this element in future series but he, he gets this idea which is really good but could be quite complicated but presents it in a very clear uh, enjoyable way which I think is a lot more which takes a lot of skill as a writer you know getting yeah. an idea which you know you're dealing with complicated ideas of um of of time travel and rewriting history and so on but presenting yeah. it in such a clear uh way which flows very well is uh, is the you know is the sign of a good skilled writer yeah it could have been quite confusing because he could have went back and essentially diverged it into a new timeline mm-hmm. but instead we've got one long linear narrative which is um the only change we're seeing is a man's memory and in, in his experiences. Mm-hmm. And we get to see him um, feeling these these changes, you know? Yes. And he's, he's, not, he's not resentful towards it or anything. He's quite accepting of these new feelings and memories, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Kazran Sardik, who is the, the Scrooge of the story. And he is played by Sir Michael Gambon. Uh this is one of those occasions when uh, you know Doctor Who shows off its shows off its ability to get incredibly good talented actors uh, as as guest stars, and and so we have Michael Gambon, which was uh, a thrill back in twenty ten, 
and it, it's it's still fantastic to see that you know he came in uh, uh, to to appear in this episode, and he does he does a really really good job at playing this character because yeah. if because what we're seeing with this character is you know he is one thing. Uh, and then we're seeing him progress, but he's all. But there's the element of um, what he used to be, whilst also whilst also being emotionally changed. And what Michael Gambon does is he makes the, he he presents that really, really well. You know, it's his skill as an actor showing that um, showing that he's making these transitions smooth through his performance. It doesn't feel, it's not, you know, uh, like a stop-start approach. Yeah. It doesn't feel like um, his character's inconsistent from one moment to the next. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, when I said before, there were, there were moments when I was watching this episode and I was, you know, I was really uh, emotionally engaged with it. And the moments when I felt like I was on the verge of tears, it was because of Michael Gambon's performance. You know, because mm. he is, he is this Scrooge negative character who is who is willing to let thousands of people uh die uh, which is the spaceship um uh, about to crash he has the ability to prevent that uh because on this planet um there's this machine that controls the clouds and how the weather operates um so through this machine that he has he would be able to um alter the environment as it were and prevent mm. the the spaceship from crashing, and he doesn't care. Um, so the reason why, so what ends up happening is the, the doctor has to convince this man to um, to help. Uh, and what he then does is he goes right. What's your problem? All right, okay. What it is your problem is it stems from from your past and your relationship with your father. I will then go mm. back. Uh, to previous uh, and change your perception of things so that's the plot and that's the sort of uh, the Doctor Who version of a, uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol coming in and yeah. so seeing Michael Gambon perform that character as being this quite uh, negative cold character and then suddenly see him warming and, and changing it was uh, it was I just found it a really emotional performance to watch and it, it sort of got me it's a really good performance and you've got to remember that well this in 2010 of course he was still playing Dumbledore yes yeah, yeah. In, in Harry Potter mm-hmm. um, and of course the voice is quite quite um, identifiable as Dumbledore um, but it's quite a different performance isn't it mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah very much so yeah who's your favourite Dumbledore Oh, it's good. well. The thing is, I, I'm not, I'm not massively into Harry Potter, um, so I, I haven't. It's a bit tricky. I, I need to go back and watch the films because I think I've only seen them once, and then and that was it. Oh. <laughs> I know it's shocking. Um, Have you seen Jude Law as Dumbledore? Oh no, I, d- I haven't seen any of the uh, what are those movies called. The Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, Fantastic Beasts. I haven't actually, I haven't seen those. Um, so no, I haven't seen his performance. Yeah. It's Christmas. You're meant to be watching Harry Potter. Look, I haven't even seen the movie Elf. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which has caused, uh, which has caused some very interesting reactions. Uh, when How do you get through your day to day lives? Does people like quote Elf to you, and it just goes over your head? <laughs> <laughs> Well, probably because if they're quoting Elf, <laughs> I don't know. One quoting. day you'll watch Elf, and the world will just make sense. <laughs> That's what everyone's been talking about. <laughs> yeah, probably because at work we've been talking about what our favourite Christmas movies are, uh, and I think in a previous podcast we talked about this. And uh, for me, it still remains a Muppet Christmas Carol. But a lot of people say have been saying that their favourite Christmas movie is Elf. Um, just like, all right, that's interesting. I've never seen it. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, when you ring anyone, do they ever pick the phone up and say, "Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color?" No. No. <laughs> Who picks up phones these days? 
And before you ask, no one's ever texted that either. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I'm going to see if I can watch Elf this year and, and correct that obvious yes. mistake. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm. That's a good air. Uh, that's a good adaption. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm not being ironic or anything like this. I'm, I'm being genuinely serious. I think A Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation. Um, I know there's a bit of a sore point about that movie recently because there's, there's a deleted song, isn't there? Yes. Now, the funny thing is, because I, I, I remember going to the cinema to see that when I was two. Sorry, when I was, when I was five in 1992. so i I was five when i saw that at the cinema and then the following year um it came out on on vhs and i got that as a christmas present and for many many years uh my christmas tradition was to watch that every christmas eve yeah Uh, and that song see i i have a memory i had a memory of seeing that song performed at the cinema but obviously that must be a false memory because it was on the vhs version Yes. And I never particularly cared for the song, but narratively it was important because uh, it's a past Christmas and it's when Scrooge has his heart broken because uh, his love basically leaves him. And then when I got the DVD version... And it, it was absent. Yeah, it was the original theatrical version and the song's mm. absent. And I was just like, you can't move... What? It, uh, uh, I mean, the editing of it's actually quite well done. Um, you wouldn't think a song was there. But although having said that, though, the fact that the Muppets uh, are suddenly very sad seems a bit jarring. It's a bit... Yeah. It's a bit of a... I sh- don't think the song was out of place. I mean, I, I've got the... My, my copy's the VHS. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So I'm quite used to the song. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I felt quite offended to know that it had been taken out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I've got the DVD version, and the, it's the version without the song. And actually, it bugs me that it mm-hmm. doesn't have the song in, because I, I actually quite like the song now that I'm a bit older. I think as a kid, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the emotional wishy-washy song that slows the story yeah. down. But now it's like, it's no, not it's, even sung by a Muppet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's disgraceful. Um, but you know, now you're older. It's just going. It's not a bad song, and narratively, it's important. It needs to be there, and it's not as mm-hmm. if it's ridiculously long. Um, so yeah, uh, that song. That song should should still be in there. Okay. Uh, so you haven't answered your favourite Dumbledore. Who's your favourite Scrooge? Right. This is the thing. Right. Okay. So, I think a Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation of it, and I love. Um, I love Michael Caine's performance of that. But, strangely, he, despite that, he's not my favourite. My favourite is Alistair Sim. Um, I forgot what... I think that was a, an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. For, I can't remember if it was the late 40s or the early 50s. Mm. I think it was the late 40s. But Alistair Sim... I mean, one, that that, adapta- that movie adaptation is, is, is bloody brilliant still. Uh, and if, if anyone hasn't seen that version, I would recommend it still holds up. It's uh, it's wonderfully atmospheric and it, it it's just a great adaptation and Alistair Sim's performance of Scrooge is uh, is just wonderful, so I think he he's my favourite. Okay, how about you? That's cool. Um, I don't know. I don't really have many versions in mind. I like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> oh yeah, Scrooge McDuck. He's good. He's cool. And, yeah, and co- that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, and of course there's uh, there's Bill Murray. In Scrooged, yes, uh, which you know, which I think is actually quite an imaginative adaptation of a Christmas Carol, yes. and I, I do like that one an awful lot as well. Oh, there's Ron Atkinson. Oh, of course, uh, in the Christmas uh, special of of Blackadder. Yes, I, I love how they take the whole concept and just flip it. <laughs> yes, it's brilliant. So, humbug, 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 humbug <laughs> Oh, I need to watch that. That is, yeah, that's brilliant. And I love, um, oh, what's his name? He he, he plays uh, the Ghost's Christmas Past. I want to say Robbie Coltrane, but I don't think it is. Is that his name? I yes, feel it like is. It might be. Yes, it is. It is Robbie Coltrane. Uh, for some reason, I thought that. Uh, for some reason, I thought he had a different name. Uh, yes, I love how he. Uh, you know how he just comes in. He just 
basically kicks down the door and just goes just goes (laughs) just I just love how he performs that it just cracks me up I need to watch that again so yes listeners if you haven't seen the um, because Nicola Bryant's in that uh, is she? yeah um, she plays I think it's his niece anyway the one with the really really high pitched voice all right so, so the, I do need to rewatch that. So there is a Doctor Who connection, even though yeah. you know, and you got Rowan Atkinson who did the Doctor in. Of course, he is the Doctor. <laughs> so, yeah, because of Fatal Death. Um, so there's Doctor. But yes, listeners, if you haven't seen the Christmas uh, special of of, uh, of Blackadder, uh, watch it. It's just it's just wonderful. Yeah. Also, right, another another thing. I think they use uh, a prop from the Curse of Peladon. In Blackadder. In the in the Christmas uh, episode, yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Do you remember the Curse of Peladon? Yeah. Right. You know how um, I've forgotten the name of the alien, but it's it's sort of like this. It's this green head in this big yeah. massive container thing. So you know the the future section uh, um... of the Blackadder episode. Oh yes. Right, and because it's it's basically you, it's sort of um, it's a it's basically the 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 setup of Blackadder 2, but in the future. So, you know, Queenie and all the rest of it. You know the character of Nursey? Yeah. I'm sure she's in in that thing from the Curse of Paladin that had the green floating head. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> so I, I think there's this really obscure Doctor Who, uh, another Doctor Who connection to that. But anyway, yeah. there you go. I'm just thinking of another connection. You know, um... You mentioned Robbie Coltrane, mm-hmm. and I was thinking of Nuns on the Run. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. I haven't seen it in years. Yes, but yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where I know um, Jackie Taylor. I had no idea she was in that. She's she's the blind girlfriend. Is she? With the, uh, well, with, with, you know, with the glasses. Well, I haven't seen this since I was probably twelve oh, right. or something. Uh, it's it's one of those British comedy movies which got absolutely slated, but I remember I've seen it a couple of times. But as I said, it's been many years since I've watched it, and I always thought it was it was quite good fun because mm-hmm. it had Robbie Coltrane and wasn't Eric Idle in it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first watched Rose in two thousand and five, I thought, oh, it's just from Nuns on the Run. All right, all right, okay. I recognise her from she appeared in an episode of A Bit of Fry and Laurie. I think it was the second series. Oh, we should probably get back to Christmas Carol, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. Just go off on a bit of a tangent. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so um, at the start of the story, um, the adventure kicks off in space. Mm-hmm. And we see the Horsehead Nebula. Did you, did you notice that? In space? I don't know. Sorry, I didn't know. I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's this actual real, real-life cloud in the constellation of Orion. Ah, right, okay. Um, and I thought, like, what's the relevance here? I thought maybe is um are they putting like a futuristic spin on the fact that there was horse drawn carriages in Charles Dickens stories? I don't know. I think we'll have the horse head nebula and then instead of a carriage we'll have this spaceship coming past. I don't know. You know what? That the the probably I think you've <laughs> I didn't notice that. But I actually think that's uh, I think that's a really cool thing to know. I think that's interesting. And yeah, maybe they, they maybe they did use that because of the you know the host drawn carriages from the Victorian era and so on, and they just thought it was a sort of like a, a bit of an in joke. Um, I was just thinking, <laughs> I was just, it's ah, oh, this doesn't compare to that because I do think that's quite interesting what you've just said. I was just thinking if um, the the design of the costumes were uh, from the people operating the spaceship were uh, deliberately made to look similar to that in the Ark in space. All right, <laughs> what? What? Just white and naff. <laughs> white and naff. Jesus, that's <laughs> no. no, it was just. The... Oh, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, I mean, it was just. Anyway, who cares? The horse nebula, yeah. Yeah, horse head nebula. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. The captain of the spaceship. She'll be noticeably familiar to fans of the short-lived Doctor Who spin-off class. She played their head teacher of Cole Hill. Ah, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah, the Doctor makes an entrance down the chimney. Christmas reference. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And Father Christmas, also known as Jeff, is the Doctor's mate. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so random. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, because it's it's been a while since I've watched uh, a Matt Smith episode, so um, seeing this and seeing his his entrance, his performance, it was just like, oh, I remember why I just loved his Doctor so much. Um, he's really great in that scene because he just you know he comes in in this you know in a really quite ridiculous fashion, um, but he just completely takes control of the scene, and the fact that he's acting, I mean, there, there are other people in the scene, but it's mainly. Uh, him and Michael Gambon and Matt Smith mm. is a good actor as we know but the fact that he's acting you know he's acting uh, with Michael Gambon who's just this absolutely you know this tour de force and just this amazing actor and Matt Smith holds his own and just completely dominates that scene it's it's great to watch and he, he does that thing of that you know that sort of like that childhood that childlike wonder and all that thing with his hands and the pointing it's just a great performance and then there's mm. moments when he he goes from that uh, and you know he he you know he he can be a bit threatening and things darken a bit and it's sort of like michael gambon's performance in in that respect where it just flows and you know you just it was just great to see him. It's just like yeah this is just uh, an actor who's really good arguably at the height of his uh, height of his powers and just performing really rather well um and it, so it was just it was just great to see matt smith being the doctor again after after all this time and he's coming in and he's really um observant you know while he's talking he's like oh who's that in the um in the freezer he's like um oh she's uh she's not important and then he yes. goes i love that not only because yeah we talked about the performance but i just love the dialogue I mean, I, look, I like how Stephen Moffat has, has written and constructed the episode in general, but there are just certain moments which really uh, stand out. And this is where the dialogue and the acting really merge very well. So, yes, he notices um, Abigail uh, frozen in that container and goes, who is she? And then um, Kazran responds, no one important. And just having the doctor goes, that's really interesting. And throughout all these years, I've never met anyone who isn't important. Uh, I just think that's a great line of dialogue in general, uh, but it also says an awful lot about the Doctor. Uh, Although, <laughs> yes, go on. If you go back to the waters of Mars with the Time Lord Victorious stuff, yeah, we've also got the scene where the Doctor's like, um, "Yeah, I've saved some little people." Yes, you're right, but he learns little the people. Yeah. Again, I love that scene. I love The Waters of Mars. I think it's a cracking good story. But one of the reasons why I love it so much is because there's a real nasty, arrogant streak to the Tenth Doctor, you know, mm -hmm. which crops up. And finally, The Waters of Mars addresses it. And it addresses mm -hmm. it in that scene, which I just think is... Um... Oh, I've forgotten the actress's name now. And she's one of my... Uh... She's one of my favourites. But yes, that scene is, is really rather good. But the whole point of it was... Um, the Doctor's arrogance became really d dominant, mm -hmm. and the whole the way that scene transpires, he then re and it, it's he's then brought back low because he realizes, um, you know, just that nasty aspect to his nature. Um, it, and funny enough, when I because uh, when I watched this episode and I saw that scene, it did make me think that that contrasts really well with that scene in the waters of mars okay and uh, and it could be i mean because I, I i i'm saying that it um it says an awful lot about the doctor in general because i think that's a line of dialogue that would that would be given to all the doctors and it would ring true but obviously it also says an awful lot about the 11th doctor in general um so kazran almost lashes out on the young boy doesn't he mm -hmm. um but he doesn't and the doctor is quite intrigued by this. Um, he quickly decides that oh, it was probably the relationship with his father. Mm -hmm. Could you even speculate? Does the doctor relate to this? Because he was quick. He was quick to come up with it. Um, the doctor could have also had a similar relationship. That's an interesting possibility. Um, that never occurred to me. That's quite possible. Um, I think. That's really that's a really interesting idea, Rob. Possibly, I think mm. there's the that in, yeah, I think that's a, an interesting uh, an angle on it. I mean, because the, uh, the the scene that it's the the way that the scene is 
the way that that's realized it's it's sort of very reminiscent of the doctor's observational skills seen in matt smith's first episode the 11th mm. hour you know where and it's the sort of same it's the same sort of camera angles and swishing around of going you know, i've noticed you know this and it's mm-hmm. sort of that, that element of the Doctor being sort of like Sherlock Holmes in that element. Um, so uh, so there's that. But yeah, I think that's an interesting possibility that may, you know, maybe um, there's that uh, emotional intelligence because maybe the Doctor had a troubling relationship with, the, with, with his father as well. So yeah, possibly. Yeah, I guess in that sense you could see um, a contrast between Kazran and the first Doctor how do you mean if the doctor had a similar past he could have grown up maybe a little bit resentful and grumpy and um the, there might be certain similar character traits with Kazran and the first doctor actually yes you're right again yeah that you really this is really good because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it adds up yes you're right because when we first see the doctor in an earthly child and the daleks you know he's quite this immo- amo- you know amoral character Mm. Uh, who's quite cold and distant in many ways, and as as explained in A Christmas Carol, Kazran's um, not willing to help. Uh, he explains it himself, and and again, what I think is a really good scene, which is that it's not that he you know he's evil or he gets anything out of it. It's just that he doesn't care. And with the first Doctor, as we're first introduced to him, he um, he is very much like that. So yes, you're right. And then it's mm. his relationship and what he learns with uh, Ian and Barbara and becoming more emotionally intelligent um, that he becomes a better person and the hero that we know and love today. Yeah. Which we're seeing in this episode. So yeah, you're right. There are... Yes. And the Doctor learns of the fish. You know, evidently there are sharks too. This turned out to be integral to the story, mm-hmm. um, as it would turn out. But it was quite a random idea. Do you think it was a bit odd? Including the sharks and the fish in a Christmas episode? It is an odd idea, but I, I've always liked it. Um, yeah. You're right, it was sort of maybe, you know, when you're first watching it, it was the idea of maybe it's just this slight quirk of the planet and it's just there mentioned and it doesn't become part of the plot and that of itself i just thought oh it's a you know a bit of a quirky idea fish that are able yeah. to, to swim in air without any water and it, it it's realized quite well and i think the cgi holds up uh still oh yeah um which considering you know 10 years have passed and technology has changed and cgi has improved that's actually quite something that's quite remarkable that that still holds up and the the effects haven't dated um i quite like the idea and you're right it is odd um i was thinking is it is it adapted um from the original story something i'm not realizing um or maybe he just missed muppets so Muppet, i put some fish in <laughs> <laughs> muppets fish all the same thing yeah. yeah maybe um but yeah i thought it was an, an odd idea but it's just there's something quite um i don't know how to explain it maybe there's something quite poetic about it which mm. I quite like. Uh, it's just a, a nice quirky idea which works, um, but it works even better, as you said, because it's it's not just this this quirky idea, but it's it's woven into the plot, and mm. it becomes integral. Um, but then the whole thing is because uh, Kath, uh, Catherine Jenkins, who plays Abigail, uh, because she is a, a very well respected um, singer, uh, mainly. Um, mainly performs operatic arias which is you know so they've got her and they you that they brought her in because she has this skill uh of being a really good uh singer and there are uh, a few scenes within the the episode where she sings but that's not gratuitous either because that is woven into the plot and um because they're attacked by this huge shark um but then abigail is able to sing to it which pacifies it and there's this whole thing about um audio frequencies which helps resolve the situation later on so it's all it all it all ties in and it's it's, it's handled really rather well so yes it's, yeah. a, it's an odd quirky idea but it, it works it works very effectively i wonder if the fish and the sharks um are alien natives or if they were brought there by the um the colonists 
Um, I mean, if the sharks are facing extinction, that would stand to reason why the colonists would bring them, mm-hmm. possibly in those um, freezing chambers. Ah, possibly. Um, although I would want to know why you would go <laughs> stick them in clouds and fog. Um. Well, maybe, maybe they didn't stick them in the clouds, but the the fish learnt to fly in the in this crystalline fog. Possibly. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's a possibility. I th- uh, well, it's either that or some kind of weird parallel evolution. See, that's my sort of direction. I was just like, it's this weird, weird parallel evolution that somehow, you know, we have these aquatic uh, animals that evolved yeah. on this planet. I suppose in the Doctor Who universe, we'll have humanoids evolving on every planet. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like um, the new the new era kind of avoided that, um, with the exception of Time Lords, until um, Voyage of the Damned, <laughs> when the... the um, the crew of the Titanic were all pure humanoid aliens, <laughs> and then, um, and then after that, they just it just came along all the time, didn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, it did. Yes, sometimes they they don't even clarify, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, he's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this. Uh, there's a line in uh, Carnival of Monsters, which was written by Robert Holmes, and I just love this slide because I just think it's brilliant. Uh, where they are, the uh, Vogue is demonstrating the miniscope uh, to the aliens of the planet that they're on. And they they make a point that they note that all the aliens are humanoid. And Robert Holmes gives uh, Vogue this line, which, uh, which says that uh, it's thought that this contradicts some... I've forgotten the guy's name, some fictional character... Um, it feels like this contradicts this this bloke's theory that all life in the universe is infinitely really variable. Uh, so, so they, act, you know, Robert Holmes does this really witty line where he actually addresses that that in the in in the Doctor Who universe, it's actually explained that uh, life uh, isn't isn't infinitely variable. Everyone somehow looks like a humanoid. I just thought it was I just thought it was a, a great. It's just this one throwaway line. Uh, but it's really quite witty. I just love it. The fact that he wrote that in. Oh, so the shark that um, that they find when the doctor's fishing with his screwdriver, um, the shark is dying, and Kazran is quite emotional about this. So mm-hmm. we know that clearly he did have a lot of empathy, which obviously went away. Yeah. Um. So the this new history with Kazran kicks off fully when Abigail wakes up and start travelling together. And technically, you could consider them fully-fledged companions, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. There's this whole era of Kazran and Abigail with the Doctor. Um, although the Doctor and Abigail only spend a mere, was it, eight or nine days travelling? Uh, eight days, I think, yeah. Yeah, but with Kazran, it's been, it's been every year, so he's known the Doctor for almost all of his life. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, much yeah. like in um, the girl in the fireplace. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I thought uh, one of the things that I like is that uh, this this idea, um, as I said, I, I quite like this uh, adaptation of, of Doctor Who doing Christmas Carol, uh, and I I like how it's uh, how it unfolds and this whole thing between uh, the young Kazran, uh, Abigail, and the Doctor, you know, meeting up every Christmas Eve. Uh, and and going on these adventures and just you know having having a really good time, and the other thing that I quite like is because obviously during this period because it's going from Kazran as a child and adolescent and into a young man, it's just there's just that moment when you know that they they release Abigail from the freezer and she's like Doctor, and then there's just there's just that one year when she goes, you know she addresses Kazran first. And then mm-hmm. th- they'd end up developing a, a romantic relationship. And that's yeah. really rather... Uh, th- that's just... Because it's it, it's done very um, quickly because this episode's only an hour long. So Stephen mm. Moffat doesn't have a lot of time to tell this. Uh, he does it very economically, but it's 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 done very well. Which I think is is, is helped enormously by Toby Hayes' um, uh, direction. Uh, it's done economically, but you, you, it doesn't feel rushed, and you do get that. You do get that sense of 
a friendship developing between those three. And then later on, the the romantic relationship that Kazran and Abigail develop. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, you, you're you're building up to this uh, emotional fall. Because as it, as it's revealed, it's not revealed what the the illness is, but Abigail is is suffering from something. Yeah. And she only had yeah. eight days to live. So each Christmas Eve that they're spending over the years, her her life is diminishing by a day. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk. We talked earlier about the Doctor's power of observation, and there was a moment on with Abigail's first trip in the TARDIS when um, the Doctor actually does question the numbers. Mm-hmm. And she says, "Are you one of my doctors?" And then he's distract distracted, and it's not brought up again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, is that something? That, do you think the doctor was oblivious to? So yes and no. I think because especially with uh, Matt Smith's doctor, you know, he is someone who is very observational and is, is able to clock things. But at the same time, uh, it's only when he's focused. You know, he's he is very easily distracted, and he's sort of he, yes. he, there is that. Uh, childlike element to him where he goes oh look something over there uh there's also things kind of beyond his comprehension especially with the romance in this story yes where he can't he physically can't give kazran any advice Mm -hmm. you know because he just doesn't relate to this kind of human interaction no no although he he does somehow manage to uh (laughs) to get engaged to marilyn monroe uh funny funny enough talking about the the childlike element of his doctor there's a great there's a Great uh, moment where I just it had me howling with laughter because I, I just loved how Stephen Moffat wrote this, but I just loved Matt Smith's performance of it. And just this one line, you know, when they're having a, a Christmas meal together and it's with Abigail's family, and mm. it's that whole thing of the Doctor. Uh, there's a kid there and he's showing him um, card tricks. You know, guess you know, uh, pick a card. Is this the right card and all the rest of it? And he keeps on getting it wrong. It's just that moment when Matt Smith says to the kid, he goes, shut up, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) I don't know, it's just, I love that line. I just love Matt Smith's performance of it. And it's such, you know, you can just imagine a kid doing that. You know, you're the one doing the the, the magic trick, but you're getting it wrong, but you're blaming the person you're doing the trick to. I just love that. I just, it's just, uh, just a wonderful little moment, but but it really stood out for me. I just, I just thought really, it was really enjoyable. But yes, you're right. Going back to that, he, he so he he did note uh, the numbers on the cabinet, the freezer cabinet, and it looks like they're about to find out. But he's then distracted, and it's mm-hmm. it's not a thing until later on, when the the romantic um, relationship between Casrin and Abigail is in full swing. She then uh, re- reveals that sort of, that that hitherto secret to Casrin and. Um, and just as you thought that maybe the Doctor's winning and, and turning Kazran around, uh, this puts a, another emotional block on him. Yeah. In fact, it, it's hard to watch when you when you don't know and you don't understand what Abigail said to him. Mm. Um, that makes it hard to watch him um, shut down on the Doctor, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's hard to understand what's going on in his head. Yeah. Well, sort of yes and no. You don't know the full mm. extent of it because that was a private conversation between those two. And I quite like the fact that we're not told. We're, we're just given the basic information, which is uh, Abigail only has a day left to live. And, you know, Kazran's obviously devastated by this and then just shuts down. Um, and that scene's played really well. You know, because... Kazran is trying to be polite to the Doctor, but at the same time there's this nasty streak that sort of comes through. Um, and you can kind of see where he's he's going. And it's interesting because the Doctor responds to going, right, look, here's, here's my song Screwdriver. If you ever need me, use it and I'll, I'll come calling. And um, he, he, Kazran takes it but goes, you know, that's that's never going to happen and there's there's a moment just uh it's not long after it's a couple of scenes later where it looks like he's about to call the doctor he doesn't use the song screwdriver and realizes the doctor's already there yeah and i thought it was nothing said it's just actions but i thought it was really interesting because um the doctor is being quite presumptuous if you like 
you know he happens to be there before he's even before he's even asked and Kazran doesn't like that mm-hmm. uh he you know he goes right i don't want to know had you know you get that sense of had Kazran just been left to his own devices he may have called the doctor of his own yeah. accord so i thought that was a, a a nice little moment that that Stephen moffat had written into the episode as well so old Kazran kind of turns to a portrait of his father um which was briefly a portrait of Ab- Abigail earlier on, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly the events are kind of still in a state of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting here that the Doctor has put Kazran back on this path. Originally, Kazran didn't have a heart, and now his heart's broken. Um, mm. And incidentally, the Doctor's put him back where he was to begin with. So the Doctor kind of fails there. Um, but it's interesting that um, yeah, the future is still uncertain. You know, it's still changing. This kind of time travel we haven't really had much of before, have we? Uh, no, no, we hadn't. Um, and it's like what I said before. It's just the way that Stephen Moffat y- uses it, uh, and 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 demonstrates how this time change things are in flux. He does it in a very simple but very effective ways, and that 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 use of the portrait uh, portrait is a very good example because he said it was originally Kazran's father, and then later on it changes to Abigail when uh, when they become romantically linked, and then through the devastation that we talk the emotional devastation that we talked about before, then it reverts back to Kazran's father. Um, so yes, I thought that that was you know again that was a very sim- uh, uh, a very interesting complicated idea demonstrated in a very simple effective way and Kazran puts the question out there himself um, did the doctor have the right to change the course of his life mm-hmm. to suit his own mm. yeah it, it, this sort of um, he's meddling with time a lot in this story isn't he yes people's it, lives yeah yeah he is and it reminded me of um because this was something that would creep up uh, every now and again in uh, the Ma- uh, the Matt Smith era, and it it reminded me a bit of the Vampires of Venice. You know how um, I don't know whether you remember that episode, but there's a moment when R- Rory confronts the Doctor um, about how he makes you know how the Doctor makes um, those around him face ridiculously uh, difficult choices and and makes them him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of reminded me of that, uh, which is then picked up on the girl who waited. So this was a, a this seemed to be a bit of a um, bit of a thread that Stephen Moffat had uh, wrote in the, the uh, in the Matt Smith era, whereas that thing where the Doctor's actions do make people put themselves in very difficult situations, which he sort of refu- uh, refuses to. To, to maybe deal with even though he really caused them you know and and Kazran does raise the good point of going look in order to resolve this situation you're asking me to um to kill the woman i love basically mm-hmm. you know she's got one day to live how do you make the decision of what that yeah. day should be uh mm. which is uh which in the confines of the story is a really good question uh, and that sort of hangs over things a bit. So I thought uh, that was good. That was very strong. And of course, not only has um, the Doctor changed the course of Kazran's life, he's also robbed um, Abigail of eight days with her family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um... Uh, and um, by the climax of the story, the Doctor comes to the conclusion that they're going to have to let Abigail out to sing to save the people on the ship. Mm-hmm. So he's willing to make the choice to sacrifice her last day of life. Mm-hmm. I think Yes, you're right. I think that's balanced out by the character of Abigail herself. Mm-hmm. Because she seems, she seems quite happy with that. Uh, because, you know, yes, she's only got one day, but it's, you know, so she allows... She allows to to live that day on her own terms mm-hmm. with the person that she loves, which is Kazran. She even says, you know, it's like you you've waited too long, you mm-hmm. know, because the last time she saw him, he was probably in his early twenties or however old, and now you know he's 
is in his 70s or however old Michael Gambon was when he filmed this. Um, and there is that sort of thing where, you know, the way that the episode ends is with uh, with Catherine and Abigail, um, you know, um, riding into the night in a very exciting way. And it's great. And it ends on that sort of that high. But it's also tragic, isn't it? Um, yeah, but for the love of God, don't don't think afterwards that it means that the following day Abigail is dead. Just yes, you know, it's happy in the moment. Um, it's almost it's also worrying. Like Kazran's going to go back into a state of he's been heartless, then he was heartbroken, and now he's going to be grief stricken. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, you know he's he's become you know he's become better through these life experiences and because he's older and wiser and and forever altered and, and for the better he'd probably you know be able to to deal with that better but it sort of ends in the same way you know the movie Thelma and Louise uh you know how how basically it's the thing that you know th- th- they are they're taking things on their own terms and they drive the car I mean it's spoilers but you know you've had until 1991 to watch this movie if you haven't seen it <laughs> Where they they drive a car off a cliff, and what um, Ridley Scott did as a, as a decision was he then ends the movie as the car is at its highest point in the air, and then ends the movie there, and he goes, yeah, they're on a ha-, you know the finish of the movie on a high. It's it's things of you know, th- they made their decision. It's it's their own call, but of course, as we know in reality, what would happen is that and then they plunge to their deaths. It's sort of the same. It's sort of the same. It's the same sort of thing here as it were you know you end on that emotional high that you know it's two people who love each other spending time to one another uh, with one another are having a great time we end the episode there um but of course the following day abigail's dead yes of course the doctor could have come up with a clever solution in a different in a, in a different version of the story yeah but as he sort of explains at the end it's that you know things of you know things end that's a part of life and you know if if, if things didn't end then things wouldn't start to begin with so yeah, it would have felt like quite a bit of a cheat and um, it would have maybe betrayed the story <laughs> if he'd said, you know, take this pill, you'll be fine. Yeah, I think that would have been, I think that would have been a, a cheat. Uh, and I yeah. think uh, I think that would have been something that people would have reacted reacted against. It wouldn't have felt true to the nature of the story. I did love one final spin that Stephen Moffat put on this story. We've had The Ghost of Christmas Past which was the Doctor. Yeah. Um, Amy claimed to be the ghost of Christmas present and she projected holograms of the of the crew mm-hmm. who were ultimately going to die. And then we'll have the ghost of Christmas future. And it turned out to be old Kazran himself. He was the ghost of Christmas future presented to his child self. I thought that was a good spin on it. Yes, that was really good. And I, yeah, you're right. Um, really good uh, take on it and realised very well. I loved how that scene was um, was written, performed and shot. The way that it was revealed of, of what the Doctor's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I am showing your future. Because I, I think you got an inkling of what's about to happen but even, even then, the way that it is revealed uh, was, you know, um, was really rather exciting and, and really you know, incredibly well done. I think, um, I mean, I really, really love this story. I think it's absolutely delightful. And there's something about um, Series 5, for me, uh, is one of the best periods of the show. There's just something really rather warm and magical about Mm. it. uh, I think Series 5 is pretty much perfect Doctor Who. Victory of the Daleks, I think, takes the shine off it a little bit. Um... But on the whole, I think series five is, is is really good, and then I think it reaches a sort of like a, a Christmas Carol seems to um, demonstrate really rather well why that period of the show was 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 excellent. Um, I love how the the episode was written. I love the performances, but for me that the I mean you, you've got Catherine Jenkins who who plays Abigail really rather well because even though she's a singer and she was brought in to sing um really she acts more than she sings and she she does a really good she does a really good uh, performance um mm. but really it's michael gambon and matt smith who who are the real highlights for me 
I just think uh, it's great. Uh, I love this episode in general, and in terms of Christmas specials, this is my favourite. Yeah. And Michael Gambon even pulls scenes forward with just himself, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, he does. I'm going to go with a 9 out of 10. Because mm-hmm. it was it was very good. Um, it it kind of sidelines Amy and Rory. Not detrimental to this story. But it does take a bit of a sidestep from the main series narrative. Um, I don't know if that's a fair point to mark it down on. But nevertheless, yeah, nine out of ten. No, no, I think I think that's absolutely fine. I do think that's a that's a fair point to make. Uh, I can yeah, I can see why you would mark it down for that. Me personally, I think. Um, I'm not bothered about that too much because I, th- I think in terms of the actual story, their presence is utilised quite well. I mean, they 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 begin the episode and uh, and all the rest of it. I, so, so yeah, th- no, I think nine out of ten is a really well respectable score. I can see why you would mark it down. That's fine. It doesn't bother me that much. I love this episode. For me, it's perfect. Um, I give it ten out of ten. So I was just wondering, Rob, because um, this is you know it's. This is based on what is regarded as one of the best, if not the best, depending on your point of view, of course, Christmas story, which is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And it is certainly iconic and stands the test of time. I was just wondering, what's your favourite Christmas story? Are we talking about traditional Christmas stories or Doctor Who Christmas stories? Uh, It can be any. Whichever comes to mind, yeah. Elf. (laughs) Elf, okay. Uh. Um, if I was to pick Doctor Who Christmas stories, um, I know it's not everyone's favourite, but um, I've got quite a soft spot for the Christmas Invasion. Yes, I do. For a moment, I was going to say, I hope he doesn't say the one I hate. Um, yeah, I've got a soft spot. I think the Christmas Invasion is really rather good. You hate the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe, don't you? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate that one. Oh, it's yeah. awful. When he was suggesting we do a Christmas special, I'm so pleased you picked this one. Because <laughs> I didn't want to do a podcast just bitching. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I really don't yeah. like that one. Um, Why didn't we pick the Christmas Invasion? <laughs> we'll do that next next time. Well, I think it was quite good because, you know, we we're closing the end of uh, the yeah. 2010s and going to the Christmas special of 2010, you know. Yeah. Was, I know, I thought, that was, I thought it was a good call. Yeah. Um, and just off the top of your head, this is our second Christmas special reviewed. What was the first one? <laughs> Little quiz. Oh, blimey. Um, what do you mean? We've reviewed a Christmas special? Yes. Are you including the end of time? Have we? Re- no, we haven't reviewed that, have we? We haven't reviewed that. You're just, you're just imagining it. No, I, I, I think what it is is that I probably went on a, a bit of a rant in a podcast and then just assumed I reviewed it. Um, we reviewed a. I can't. I'm gonna kick myself when you tell me. I cut off for the life of remember what it was. Twice upon a time. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. Oh, I forgot about that one. Um, yeah. oh, blimey. Yeah. I wonder what we made of it. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I can't even remember what I ranked it. No. No. <laughs> completely forgot about that one uh, I think that says a lot about it. <laughs> maybe maybe that says a lot more than what we ever said in the podcast who knows <laughs> so we'll be back very soon um, series 12 premieres on New Year's Day 2020 2020 with um, Spyfall part 1 <laughs> I'm so tempted to uh, t- to sing <laughs> to sing yes. do not sing Adele What's your favourite Bond theme? They're all so good. Um, well, that's not true. There are some, some, some awful ones in there. but um, Huh. I can only pick one. Um, okay, I will answer this question on the Spyfall review. <laughs> Nicely avoided, I like it. Okay, yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough. I suppose it makes more sense discussing it on that podcast, so yeah. So hopefully we'll be back then and you can hear from us hopefully a few days after that. Several months later. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, jeez. But actually, because now that we're talking about it, because uh, the trailer has dropped for uh, the next Bond movie, and I'm really excited uh, for the and for season twelve. Um, I think I think we both had the same reaction, which was that it's a, it's a damn good trailer. Yeah, but we've seen damn good trailers for, before, and it turned out to be a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> True, but. Um, but I did think this was a really good uh, for trailer for series twelve, and it has got me really hyped and looking forward to it. So, um, uh, so I am looking forward to it. I was um, because after 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 nothing for almost a year, then suddenly it was like a whiplash of announcements. Of um, this is the release day. These are the episode titles. This is who's written them, and uh, and we've got uh, Stephen Fry who's going to be in it, and we've got. Um, Oh, this is really annoying. Uh, Lenny, Lenny Henry. Jeez. And now we've got Lenny Henry. Uh, and it's just like, right, great. And then Lenny Henry's come out with some stupid uh, comments. Uh, which have... He has, hasn't he? Oh, where's he coming from? Hmm. I mean, I can... I mean, you just have to look, watch the shows and go, Doctor Who doesn't have a problem with diversity. There's no. an argument, arguably, to, to have uh, a non-Caucasian actor play the role of the doctor fine mm. but to accuse the show of being racist to say that the the showrunners would rather cast a dog than a black person playing the role and that there is no diversity within the show at all i just think is i just think it's, it's stupid. totally ridiculous yeah yeah um so i haven't been uh, yeah i'm not a fan of those those comments but anyway no. uh but putting that on one side um you know you know you know, he is a good uh, a good actor, so it, it'd be interesting to see uh, uh, the part he plays and how he plays yeah. it. Um, uh, he'll certainly not be getting the role of the Doctor anytime soon. <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, I mean, because of his own opinions, not because because they're, of... they're going to be casting a Labrador. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I get. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see uh, to see uh, Stephen Fry and Lenny Henry in it. So you know that's something to look forward to. Yes. Uh, and as I said, the, and then the trailer was uh, was revealed, and it was just wow. Uh, this looks tremendously exciting. Uh, and what's interesting as well is that it looks like maybe there's going to be a bit of a story arc with the Doctor. Do you think? Maybe, mm-hmm. um, but we shall see. The big thing, of course, it looks like that Yasmin actually might have a character. Apart from the the spider episode, mm. which incidentally included our family, I think, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> um, yes, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. She hasn't had many um, personal stories, has she? No, but it, but not even that. It was just a. Have you? Why haven't you given any lines? Um, yeah. I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. So uh, it looks like that uh, Yasma will get be uh, getting more of the the limelight. So that would be uh, good as well. Um, so it looks like series twelve is looking like it'll be a good one, but obviously, the proof in the pudding is in the eating. Um, but anyway, I think I think it's safe to say that we're both looking forward to it, so it should be a good one. So yeah, time will tell. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, goodbye. Yeah, goodbye, everyone, and uh, have a very merry Christmas and a happy New Year. Or if you're listening to it after, I hope I hope you have done. And in the words of Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone.